This week's episode of the Misadventurous Podcast is part two of the incredibly inspiring chat that I had with Sophie, a founder and mumtrepreneur of Tarlo, a tech clothing company whose shop I walked into one day when I was in Melbourne and we had the most incredible chat, so I just needed to share her story with you. If you missed out on last week's episode, you definitely want to go back and have a listen to it before you hit up this one, or you can listen to it as a single episode by itself. Both have really awesome advice. There's some invaluable advice for you if you're at the idea stage of starting a business. I know I've definitely taken a bit of it on. We get real on how long it took her to overcome her struggles in the first year and how getting through that hardship became her driving force for success. She's also got some cheeky tips on how to be your own best friend when you need one and a serious bestie pep talk and we talk about what it's like being a mum and having a business. Welcome to Misadventurous with me, Tiffany Rouge, a colour lover who's filling out the grey area that we call life to help you live a more colourful life and help you unlock your mind so that you can be adventurous too. I want to talk to you about starting Tarlo because I'm a couple of months into my own journey of starting a business. How old is Tarlo? So Tarlo is two and a quarter. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, still counting quarters basically and about six months work before that. Talk me through the timeline. So you, you say you were um, at a C-level job. You decided to quit your job and start this business. Where, you know, what was the time frame? How long did that take from, I guess you said six months. What happened in those six months to launch? And then what's happened in the, in the past two years and a quarter to get to where you are today? Yeah, so it's been a journey, a journey. One of the things that I was really lucky with is that before the job I had before I started Tarlo, I worked with a lot of startup founders and in kind of the startup scene. And so what it gave me was this permission to fail. Not that I realized that at the time, but basically I left that job feeling like what I was doing was I was conducting an experiment in the same way that scientists in a lab conduct an experiment and they start with a hypothesis that is this drug is going to work or this is going to happen they get the results of the experiment and it is what it is and so for me I felt like I was conducting an experiment and I was going to let the market tell me whether it was a pass or a fail and so that that what didn't mean that I'd failed it meant that my hypothesis that there was a market for this item was either right or wrong And if it was wrong, I wouldn't continue. I would take what the market was telling me. I would take the message rather than continue on blindly or pivot. And so it was kind of like this hugely freeing belief where it wasn't like I was risking my name to start a business. I was conducting an experiment. If it didn't work, I'd go back into corporate land and get on with my life. And so it meant I was less invested in like a fear of failure or that this had to succeed or else I was a failure. So that was a really freeing belief, I guess, that I started with. And also I started with this idea or this theory around, you know, starting lean, starting with what you have and kind of starting today that, you know, there's a quote, start now with what you have. And so this idea of like proving the concept, making sure that people wanted to buy it or wanted to engage with it and, then build from there rather than building the Titanic and realizing I'd got it wrong and then having spent a fortune and actually having a product that didn't fit the market. So I kind of went into it where I, what I started with. So after that six month process, 
what I started with was probably less than what I would have started with if I'd started at five years earlier because I was okay to start with off-the-shelf tech and a limited range and see what happened. But I had some moments like in that journey, I remember I'd been working by myself and I finally found a co-founder to come on board and, you know, had a social media person that I was working with and we had our first studio shoot and we had these amazing prints that we'd found. And I remember looking around and thinking, how great is this? I've got these two amazing staff members and we've got this beautiful range and we're having our shoot and this is it and we're about to launch and look what we've achieved. You know, I remember actually feeling the elation in that moment. And then within one week later, the social media girl, I hadn't heard from her. She'd kind of fallen off the radar and it turned out that she'd had a mental health issue that meant that, you know, she was out of action for the next three months and kind of never returned to the role. The co-founder that I brought on board had been diagnosed with breast cancer and she's fine now, but, you know, her priorities changed instantly and she withdrew from the business. The fabric that we bought and made all our samples in and kind of had, you know, spent heaps of money on was bait and switched. So what we tested beforehand, they'd ended up selling us a dodgy product when they'd actually done the production order and it was unusable. And so I went from this feeling of elation, feeling like finally all this hard work was paying off to then, you know, a week later sitting at my desk alone with no product and no co-founder and not knowing at that point where the social media girl was and just thinking, like starting from scratch, like, what do I do? And I actually reckon it took me like two months to get over it. Not that I was just (laughs) sitting at my desk for two months, but just like I was trying to start to work again and work and get back on the horse but I really battled with like kind of the lost hopes and dreams or getting to that point and then it all being back to the start you know I got up every day and kept working but in terms of how long it took me to kind of shake it off and get back to feeling normal it was a long time and you know I guess I've held that since then where I thought okay if I was going to give up it was going to be then because to get to that point was so much work and to have it disappear was a fair knock So I feel like since then, nothing has been as hard as that. It's that whole like overcoming that hardest massive step and you're comparing it now to where you are. Like nothing was as hard as that. Nothing will be as hard as getting over that. And and I feel like that's probably in a completely different context, very similar to, I guess, where I am with that whole knock to the ego and getting told like I couldn't be on the radio and stuff over here. I really, really like that. I find that very inspirational. It does make sense about that point of change. Like you spent two months getting over it and therefore you would have changed your approach. And this is where you are now. I think as well, it's easy to underestimate the emotional investment that you have when you're working on things. You know, you're making every decision. The reason I was so glad to have a co-founder come on is because it is hard to have all of these discussions in your head, what you should do and should we make this decision or this decision? And sometimes it's so like the idea of being able to have someone say, no, are you crazy? That's ridiculous. You should totally do that. It's such a great relief. I was so excited to be in a team again as well, rather than working alone and making all decisions alone and then questioning my own decisions and actually having someone else question your decisions is so much better than questioning your own decisions. I mean, there's been other times as well. And I think probably that now I've realized that there are smaller things that become bigger over time, the new challenges. 
in terms of finding good people to work with, like in terms of staff. It's funny, the business that we run, you know, we talk to customers every day and we have so many opportunities. People want ball gowns. So staying true to what we are is, is also even a challenge now. Do you think you will go down the direction of ball gowns or all that sort of thing? Like what, what's the future look like for you? So it's interesting because now we have a loyal base of customers and we have customers that say to us that they basically just buy from us now like they're at where are their main brand and like it's so easy to come in and say you know the fit that I had last time I want the same like that's such an easy shopping experience for people I, I don't know we're kind of at you know two-ish years in we're kind of at this point where we've got to start actually to make some really hard decisions you know we've proved that customers love it and we've proved we can deliver it consistently over and over again and a lot of the question marks around if it's possible have kind of disappeared or we've answered them you know if in this idea of the medical experiment Mm -hmm. the hypothesis has come back and the market has said yes we want this product but now it needs to kind of grow up and go from being an infant business to okay how do we do this and that's actually really really hard because in some ways it means I can't take this approach anymore that it's a medical experiment and the market is telling me, which is so freeing. Now I actually have to turn this into a business that's going to be here for the next 20 years. In some ways, it's more daunting. Yeah, seems like a, like a lot of pressure. Don't say that or else I'll start to get You know, having seeing how far you've come and seeing that you are two years further on this journey, I think it's super inspirational. You know, if there's anything that, you know, you've learned from the situation is could you go back and look at what the market's telling you about how you can scale the business and make it a lasting brand? Surely you could. The idea, right, is that we would always be checking. Actually, rather than being an experiment and then growing up the approach I guess should be that the business is just a series of ongoing experiments where the market and our customers and our core group of customers are giving us you know a thumbs up or a thumbs down based on all the little experiments and I guess the idea of ball gowns or you know event dresses or whatever this spring we've put five styles on the floor just in a few different sizes not a full size range or anything just to see what happens and so we'll see at the end of this spring if people bought them or if people thought it was a nice idea but actually they don't go to enough balls to to bother Um, yeah so it sounds like race wear it could be a good idea anyway but like I think that's what life is all about in general essentially it's an experience or an experiment and to see whether or not it's going to work out you've got to go out and do it and try it and if it doesn't okay you fall over you dust yourself up and you try something else or something new or you change directions so I think it's a perfect way to go about continuing with Tarlo. Yeah, and to your point around your situation at the moment, like it's absolutely what you're doing too, right? Like, okay, six months. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I've never done the whole market research. You've given me a bit of inspiration there to go out and just speak to people like, because I have no idea what the business that I want to start looks like or what it will do. I just have a set of skills that I can use and, you know, I've subtracted, added things and gone, okay, here is the product that I can give out, but I don't know that it's the business that I will give out because I want to exist in this wellness space, wellness sound, but there's so many things out there already but I I just need to come up with a hypothesis and turn it into an experiment. Yeah. And then that's so liberating because it kind of simplifies everything down to a nice, tidy, clean kind of hypothesis that you can then prove or disprove because with less moving parts, it's less like boiling the ocean. Oh, I like that. I really like that. 
Is that something that you say to yourself? Is that one of the quotes that you tell yourself on bad days? I definitely like to try and turn chaos into simplicity as an active thing. So I'm like the mind mapping queen. (laughs) I have so many A3 books full of mind maps because it's just how I roll is if in doubt, mind map it out and figure (laughs) out what's really going on. I think as well... I'm a big fan of the cliched, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So this idea of you're not racing against anyone else as well, that this the journey for Talo is not necessarily about being some enormous company within two years. You know, we're running our own race and it's measured by the end of the journey, not by different points through it. Mm-hmm. The other little kind of hack that I've done, which has worked really well for me, but it's a bit weird. You know, I realised that, I was getting bogged down in some of the day-to-day doubt or whatever it might be. You know, there's this idea of like your future self, Mm -hmm. what your future self would tell you rather than your current self. You know, in your current self, you lose perspective and you kind of get caught up in minor things. And that's human nature that we're kind of designed to seek instant gratification rather than what's best for the long term. So I ended up recording, and it's interesting, this idea of voice or audio, because I ended up writing myself a letter not so much a letter but like of all of these things that I wanted to remember even like around taking breaks through the day Mm. Um, so I would find I'd work like a crazy person for the whole day every day and even you know wouldn't go to bed wouldn't get enough sleep typical kind of founder stuff so I wrote myself this letter that had all of these things about the person that I visualizing the person that I wanted to be and recorded myself saying it just on voice memos notes or whatever on my phone and it goes for about five minutes and I listen to that instead of doing meditation because I haven't quite nailed doing regular meditation every day in a consistent way I listen to my five minute little self-talk and it kind of reminds me and is really effective at putting me in a really super productive positive frame of mind and I don't know if it's because my it's my own voice it's like I am actually talking to myself but I'm doing it in a way that you know is like remember to take breaks and imagine yourself being this type of person and you're going to deal with setbacks with a sense of humor and those kind of things so that has actually been a really weird but kind of effective little thing that has worked over time we're a big fan of that I mean it's so hard to like remember what you want to be like in the day-to-day. And so it's just like a reminder that actually when I eat healthy food, my body feels better. When I move through the day, I mean, it sounds really obvious, but sometimes, you know, if you're working, you just grab crap and then suddenly feeling tired because you're, you're not having healthy food or I 100% agree. You know, I, I treat the podcast and my own musings as a, a, my form of therapy. And I actually had this thing when I, I was dealing with a lot of imposter syndrome when I first started at a radio station in Darwin, I had a little mantra that I listened to every single time before I went on air because I would be so nervous because it was my first gig and I was so scared that I'd listen to it and I'd hold like one of those power poses, just hands in the yeah, got this, the Iron Man pose. And I would just hold that feeling and listen to it before I had my first break on air live. And like the whole break would be smooth. And for me, it was if I got through the first break, okay, the rest of the show was going to be great. So 
I think it, there really is truth into just hearing it is your own voice. And if you've come to terms with the way that you sound, hearing yourself speak to you, it really, really resonates. Like one thing that I'm doing now is I'm writing things in a journal, but then I'm also reading them out loud and back to me because it really does sort of feel like I'm saying them to myself. And it's almost like I didn't even know who wrote it. I'm reading it for the first time going, yeah, I feel that. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's really how I'm feeling. I was like, it's obvious because I wrote it all. Yeah. I, do you know, it's funny. Sometimes when I'm listening to my voice, read my thing back to me, I think, wow, you've really like nailed that. Like, as in, <laughs> like, so was yours like a mantra that was quite short or how, what was yours like? I think it was about like 30 seconds to a minute. And it was just something like it started with like, Tiffany, you are doing way better than you think you are. You are an incredible radio announcer. You've got this much experience. Everything's going to be okay. You are going to be waking up the people of Darwin. They are going to love the show. You are more than prepared. You've got this. And then it was just like, say it with me now. I have got this. You have got this. We have got this. And then like, I feel it, say it out loud and be listening to it and be like, okay, cool. We're going on air. Oh my God, I'm ready to be a radio announcer after that. That's amazing. (laughs) So even hearing you say that, it's a great best friend to have. Like, you know, it's a great like kind of little good angel sitting on your shoulder telling, you know, being your cheerleader. And And how often do you even like, do people say those things to other people, let alone do you say it to yourself? You know, I think it's, it's important that we hear that, but who's going to say it to us if, you know, you have to give someone a massive explanation as to why you need to hear those words before you hear them. But if you just get out voice record and know exactly what you need to hear, it's so easy. It is. And the idea it's on your phone and you can listen to it like you know those moments when you need to hear it or when you recognise those signs that you're feeling a bit anxious or whatever it might be. Rely on yourself to solve your own problem and actually do it because we all know what our own little points are. Or Like for me, I even know the words that can make me instantly change my mindset. Wow. That's something that I feel really passionate about and looking at this whole business and what I want to do, I want it to involve that because people aren't saying those things enough to themselves or sharing those sorts of words at all that I think it's important for me, you know, once I discover what this hypothesis is to go and test it out. And that's why whatever I decide to do will be in the wellness kind of sphere because it's about people helping themselves feel good and feel good enough to carry on. If I think about the founder space or starting your own business, you know, mental health is a major thing. And you can see why in the sense that I feel like in some ways I'm lucky that being a mum, you kind of have to take breaks just because someone needs something pretty much constantly. It forces you to get a little bit out of the business. But I reckon, you know, I have the ability to have workaholic tendencies and I really could burn the candle at both ends and just work all the time. Sometimes I, I get annoyed that I have to go to sleep because I can have to I stop working. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, you know, like there's a lot of people in the early stages of business, you know, the passion runs high, but there is a downside to that. And what would you say to them? Well, do you know, to be honest, I'd love to say, say that I've nailed it, but I haven't. So for me, it still is, I would love to be working more. <laughs> like I actually feel disappointed that I don't work more because I love working so much, which is, weird to be saying out loud and admitting that what I'd probably say to them is I feel yeah you know I know I should do more exercise 
and I know I should probably have a hobby outside other than my family and kids and stuff, but I don't really. And you know what? To be honest, of all the balls that are in the air, even in terms of like parents committee at school and seeing friends and being actively engaged in some community stuff and whatever, you know, I feel like I've got so many balls in the air that, well, actually, I've just proven why I should take more breaks by saying that. You have to be passionate about something to do those hard yards that it takes in those early stages. Otherwise, you would stop because it's not easy. So I guess it's just recognising that it's the, the downside of passion is a lack of balance. I recognise that. I think balance is a very important thing to have and everybody finds it in their own way. Like what means balance to me will mean something completely different to you. And I think that it's powerful to recognise that there will be a huge lack of balance with this pursuit. And there's a few people who quote the quote around you can have everything just not at the one time so for me with for instance my fitness I know I'm not as fit as I should be at the moment but I've kind of decided that that's okay for now and that I'll give myself a little bit of a break you know I still go for walks and stuff a few balls gets dropped as long as they're not the important ones it doesn't really matter there's only a finite amount of focus that you have and so long as you're okay with where you're putting your focus then that's sort of okay yeah. All right. Well, I've taken up so much of your time. I want to say thank you so much for having this chat with me. I've got one more question for you. Sophie, what do you need to write yourself permission to do? Is there something that you're going, I need to accept that this is okay and this is me and, and that's fine. Like it's okay for me to not do this or it's okay for me to want to do this. Oh, gee, that is so hard. So I'm going to answer this question badly because I'm going to tell you something that I just kind of have given myself permission for recently and it's actually probably something I regret admitting out loud being a mum you know our expectations of ourselves I think probably this generation are so high that a friend was telling me about a discussion that she'd had with her own mother where her mother was saying how we play with our kids and how she'd never played with her kids and like the idea of playing with your kids as well as doing everything else is just another thing that we can feel guilty that we're not doing enough of. And this idea that kids want endless amounts of attention from their parents. And when you do things like have your own business, you have to compartmentalise a little bit with when you play with your kids, when you help them with their readers, when you drop them at school, and then when you actually say, you know, like I can't play with you now. And this kind of revelation that I don't remember my mum ever playing with me. I remember she was there and she did stuff and she was around and she talked to me and she did, but she didn't like sit in the sandpit with me for the equivalent of a work day or play cars with me endlessly. We played and she was there and doing stuff. And so I kind of had this huge amount of guilt with the fact that I wasn't kind of on tap as a playmate on demand for my kids and the realization that actually is that another thing that I have to be I have to be great at my job I have to look good I have to be a great friend I have to be a great partner I have to be a great mum my kids have to be healthy and well-fed and nourished and and then I also have to be this amazing playmate for them on tap on demand I feel like giving myself permission to be willing to play with them sometimes but not all the time and feel guilty about it is it probably makes me a really bad mum, but um, I think yeah. that's awesome. I think that's a like I think you definitely need to write yourself permission to not play with your kids when you physically can't. Like that's taking time for you, recognizing that you don't have it all and you don't have a finite amount of energy and um, focus. I think that's okay. So for me in my career, I've always been 
pretty competent. And if I didn't know the answer to something, I've always been able to find it out and solve it. And there's a, you know, the easy option, the hard option, which one's the right one based on the circumstances. And you kind of get used to a method of solving problems or dealing with issues that actually doesn't work in motherhood. The research that you might do about it might be totally contradictory or not appropriate for your child. I think that's why there's so much guilt in motherhood. You know, now that we're business women or, you know, we have careers, we've kind of learnt these skills that actually are at odds with motherhood and how you have to solve problems in motherhood. And it creates a lot of tension that I think past generations, maybe they've had their own things that they've had to deal with, but haven't had to deal with that. And it's really jarring as the mum to deal with that. If you want to know more about Sophie and Tarlo, just head to tahlo.com.au for all of the info or hit her up on Instagram at tahlo.style. Well, that's almost it from me here on Misadventurous. If you dig what you hear and want to keep up to date with every single episode of the Misadventurous podcast, hit subscribe however you're listening to this right now. And if you want to be even more of a legend and help other wayward adventurers find this path, I'd love it if you head on over to iTunes and rate and review this podcast. Go on, five stars for all that positivity, right? So until next time, and don't forget, it's the small choices that we make every single day that build up to that big change that you're working towards. So stay with it. 